Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Huntington, and in this episode, we hear from Adam Smith. He has a fantastic story of flipping a website. He knows exactly what he's looking for and has a handful of fairly simple things that he likes to do when he identifies a good candidate. In this particular case, he bought this site from Flippa. Now, before I send it to the interview, I have put together a little bit of a promo, a deal for you with Niche Website Builders, and that is 15% off any of their link building packages and 15% additional content if you get any of their content packages. So you're getting a little more or you're saving a little money. I'm an affiliate, so I get a commission potentially if you buy anything and they're a good company. I'm working with them on a pretty good project that I'm going to be sharing a lot more about in the coming weeks and months, uh, really over the next quarter or so, doing a little sprint of work that should be something I could talk about very soon. We're just kind of getting underway. But I use Niche Website Builders myself, and they're a good company to work with. So if you are in the market for you know content or any of the services that they have, they have several different link building packages as well. You can have a look over there. And if you're curious about some of the results, I have published other podcast episodes where I've talked about maybe the shotgun skyscraper campaign they ran for me or the 20,000 words of content that I had them deliver for several months in a row, something like eight or nine months. So anyway, you can follow the link in the show notes here if you are interested. And thanks a lot to Niche Website Builders. And let's hear Adam's story. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I talked to Adam Smith from Niche Website Builders. He has another cool story where he purchased a website, actually from Flippa in this case, for $60,000 back in the middle of 2021. He did a little bit of work on it, really not that much. We're going to go through each one of the steps that he did. And currently it's earning a lot more. It's actually worth about 132000 So it went from 60000 that he purchased it for all the way up to 132000 which is pretty amazing with just, uh, honestly, just a few days work, which sounds like such a clickbait headline. Uh, Adam, how's it going today? I'm doing well, thanks, Doug. Not too bad. Thanks for having me on again. Of course, you always have uh, great stories. And when you you know mentioned this one, I was like, oh man, we have to talk about it because you know one of the luxuries of you know having capital to invest is you can really kind of shortcut the process. And it, granted, we know we're in a fortunate position or you're in a fortunate position where you had the capital to invest it. Not everyone's in that space, but if people are thinking about the future or maybe you do have a war chest of cash and you're able to invest strategically, this could be a great way to do it. So we're going to talk about how you identified this site, maybe the process of purchasing it from Flippa. And then of course the steps, there's only a handful but we'll go through the exact steps that you did to increase the revenue and talk about how we arrived at this amount that it is probably worth now if you were to sell it. So before we get into it, I'll mention that we have interviewed you before, so people can go back yeah. and hear a lot more of your backstory, but just a quick 30-second intro, 
who are you, Adam? What do you do? Where do you work at? Sure. So I've been involved in the space for a number of years now. Um, I currently run a company with my co-founder, Mark, called Niche Website Builders. We're an agency that help affiliate marketers and content site owners uh, with content creation, link building, and done-for-you services. Um, I kind of live and breathe this world. Uh, Not only do we run the agency, we still run our own portfolio of websites. uh, And I think the learnings that we take from our portfolios uh, kind of sets us apart from from our competition. So that's kind of me and my 30 second uh, elevator pitch there. <laughs> Perfect. And to, to that point, I've actually run into a few agency owners or per- people that work at agencies that kind of got started working on sites and then couldn't quite figure it out and they weren't successful and they thought, well, I'll yeah. just start an agency. And, you know, everyone's cute and I'm doing air quotes and they're like, you know, we got to sell shovels to the miners, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But they actually, they can't do it themselves. And I've had people contact me that run the agencies that are profitable, that are like running sites. And they're like, can you show us how we can build our own sites? Cause like, we don't know how to do it. Yeah. Which blows me away. You guys actually know what you're doing and there's many case studies. So I will, I'll compliment you guys for, for doing that. So let's get into this specific story. Tell us uh, as much as you can about the site and maybe the yeah. process of looking through Flippa to find something that you think is undervalued where you can improve the value. Sure. So I've, I've, over the years, I've definitely um, narrowed down my criteria of what I look for in a website like this. They don't really come up on Flipper very often. I probably count on one hand the amount of times that I've bought a site on Flipper. Um, and this one, I set up um, uh, like my like email preferences. So you can go into Flipper, you can set preferences. They send you an email whenever something meets that preference. I get tons of emails. I check them out, and like ninety percent of the time, they meet my preference on paper. But you, you do a, a little bit of digging, and it's it's not quite right. This one kind of ticks pretty much every box and I'll go through what they were, what what what, that, what those boxes are. But essentially, the, as soon as I saw that, I knew that there would be other people interested in this site, or I assumed other people would be interested. So rather than go through the whole auction period on Flipper and wait, um, actually message the buyer like the same day it went live, like literally a couple of hours after it went live. Did he have a, a buy it now price in mind? He said yes. And I literally bought it for that price. It was it came out at thirty five times the last twelve months average, which valued the site at sixty thousand dollars. So I didn't even wait. I didn't want to watch it for X amount of time and see if anyone was bidding. I knew it was a good deal for kind of the strategy I had in mind, and I just bought it straight away to get it off the market and kind of into my hands essentially. Um, In terms of what I look for with these sites, um, this one in in particular, um, it was monetized through AdSense only. uh, And AdSense, you know, I mean, it's great, but it doesn't pay anywhere near as much as other networks. Uh, I moved it to Ezoic in this this case. Um, So it was really under-monetized. Not only was it just on AdSense, it, it just had hardly any placeholders as well. So it was a poor network with very little, there's just, it just was really under monetized. Um, the other thing I liked about this site in particular was it had been steady for a long time. So when I looked at it, uh, I could see the current, the owner that had it had had earning data back to April 20. So over, over 12 months earnings data where it had been very, very steady from AdSense. 
And when I looked in the Google Analytics account, the data went back even further. And it had been steady for around three years, like very, very little fluctuation. There'd been lots of Google updates in the last kind of year or two. And nothing had touched the site. There was no major ups or downs. And, and to me, that was a sign that it was a solid site. And Google kind of liked, obviously liked the content, liked the space and, and liked the site. And you mentioned there weren't very many placeholders. So for people that don't know what that means exactly, can you just explain it exactly? Sure. So a, a placeholder is basically just a, a space on the site reserved for where an ad can be displayed. So you can have a placeholder in the sidebar and you can have multiple placeholders in the content. So, you know, every couple of paragraphs can have a placeholder for an advert. It doesn't necessarily mean an advert will show there, but it's a place where an advert can show if someone, if an advertiser wants to bid on that traffic. Perfect. So I guess in essence, the, the more placeholders you have, the more opportunity you have to show more ads and the more ads you show is, means more revenue. Okay. So yeah. how do you know if a site doesn't have very many? Can you just visually like look on it and, and see like, oh, there's obviously there's a shitload of ads. There must be a lot of placeholders. How do you know when there's an opportunity to add more? Sure. So yeah, visually, essentially, um, visually by looking in, in, in the content itself, are there lots of placeholders that come up as the, in the content as you scroll through it? Or can you see lots of adverts in there? In this case, I couldn't. Another killer one for me in this case was the site didn't have a, a sidebar. So it was just uh, full width. Um, and at least on desktop traffic, the sticky sidebar ad advert or placeholder is worth the most money, essentially, because as you scroll and read the article, it stays in view. Uh, and with Ezoic, every 15 seconds, that advert refreshes and another one shows. So if someone reads you know, uh, uh, an, an article for a minute, essentially, you're showing them four different adverts for that one placeholder, and it didn't have that. So that was a very quick, easy win to add a, add a sidebar, add a sidebar widget or placeholder uh, and increase revenue that way. Got it. And I just want to go back and make sure I understood how old is the site? And you mentioned stability for a pretty long time. So when was it created? And do you know much of the history just from looking through the analytics? Yeah. So it's at least, it's at least three and a half years old. Um, that was when the analytics account that I took over had data going back to, but it looks like it didn't start there because the analytics uh, just is at a high number to start with. It clearly didn't start there, so the site's probably older than three and a half years. I would I would say it's it's probably four four and a half years old. Did the person that created it seem to know what they were doing, or was this like an early site? You know, sometimes you you pick up a site and it's like, oh, why did they why did they use this theme? Why did they use yeah. these plugins? Like they were just figuring it out. So do you have any handle on that? I don't. It's interesting because this the person that I bought it off clearly wasn't the original owner. Um, but the site was it was the most basic site you've ever seen. It didn't even have a logo. You know, when you just install, I think it was on Astra theme, like plain Astra theme. The logo was basically the text, like the text of the site. So it didn't even have a logo. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what they were doing with it. I mean, I can only assume they bought it and just left it sit there because it was very passive. The content hadn't been updated in a long time, but it was still earning steady and, and no real fluctuations in traffic. And 
the few months before you picked it up, just we I realized that we haven't mentioned the exact um, earnings like per month, like on average. So say the handful of months uh, prior to, it looks like maybe it was earning uh, maybe like $1,800, $2,000 per month for the previous six, eight months or something like that. Yeah, like the previous six months before I bought it, the average was $1,700 a month. And then you bought it in August of 2021. So what's sort of the average revenue over the last few months? And we're recording this in the middle of February. Sure. So I, I never include the month. I didn't include the month of August because there was the transition and things like that. But September to January, the average month is now $3,300. All right. So that's pretty crazy. Like it's almost doubling the revenue just from the handful of things, which we're, we're about to talk about. Before we move on, is there anything else that you um, look for? Maybe you could tell us some of the filters that you set up, but yeah, what what kind of earnings are you looking for? What kind of traffic are you looking for? Any key components or metrics to identify what might be a good opportunity? Sure. So I'm definitely looking for sites that are primarily monetized through display ads at the moment. Um, there's obviously been a lot of change in the affiliate world and affiliate content over the last kind of 12 months. So primarily earning through display ads. Um, in my price range, I'm looking for sites that are earning at least $1,000 a month. Um, I don't really have an upper limit. I'm fortunate to have budget to go uh, as high as, I'm not inf infinitely high, obviously, but you know, $1,000 a month makes it worth my time uh, and effort. Um, and then ideally, I'm looking for uh, almost problem sites, like doer uppers. If you were to, to compare it to like a house flip or something, I'm looking for a doer upper. Um, the skills that I've developed over the last couple of years has allowed me to identify like sites which may need some work or they're under-optimized or um, they have a content issue or there's something not quite right with them. Um, and with some quick wins and, and you know, spending a, sh a relatively short amount of time, I can change or implement fixes for and then hopefully you know, see an increase in revenue in the next short term, really, you know, six to eight months. Um, and usually I'll flip them on then. So I probably look to sell the site shortly. I've kind of done my quick wins. I've realized that optimization and then it goes out to my portfolio ready for the next then. Was there anything as a problem on this site that was not an opportunity where you were like, that's a lot of work and maybe I don't want to tackle that? Yeah, yes and no. Uh, it's definitely for me not a long-term hold. Um, this site is in the technology space, um, but it's not product. It's not about a product. It's about um, yeah, information about a technology. And I personally feel that in the next, at least within the next couple of years, this the information this website offers is probably going to be obsolete. So if, for me, it's not a long-term play. It was a find it, increase the revenue, and then flip it on. So I guess the problem for me there was it's not worth my time and effort to to pivot it to another angle in this space. I'd rather just take the money and, and, and move away from it. Perfect. Anything else you could think of before we move on to the steps to increase the value and earn more? Um, not really. I think... Um, 
I just as a side note, finding these types of sites is getting quite hard. It's uh, just as a, like a, a caveat, do your do due diligence, a lot of due diligence before you buy these types of sites. Like this deal to me almost felt too good to be true because it seems like why would someone not even put a logo on there? Why would they not move away from AdSense to another ad network when you know you could change map so quick? And I, obviously I did my due diligence and it turns out there was nothing wrong, but I've seen so many sites that look almost too good to be true like this. And you think, oh, I'll buy this. Even if I just do some quick changes and keep it for a couple of months and then sell it and then something happens to it or there's a fundamental problem. Um, so ju just be mindful that they are out there, but they're very few and far between. And you have to dig through a lot of rubbish sites to find ones like this. Did the traffic change or is this increased revenue with the same exact amount of traffic? Pretty much exactly the same. Amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> and uh, I know some people will want to know logistically, as far as the payment, did you go through escrow? Like, how did that part work? Yep. So all through escrow.com. I think Flipper actually partners with escrow now. So when you sell, you can you can choose that. Um, we split the fee 50-50. So there's a, a, a fee at, uh, on the buyer and seller side. You can choose one person paid or not. But I think we split that 50-50. And I think we set a seven-day inspection period. Um, and that is basically once the site is transferred over to me, I then have seven days to make sure that I'm happy with it, to try and get it approved into my Ezoic account to make sure that it'll get, it'll get approved. Because um, that's always another danger of buying a site that's with AdSense. The obvious thing for that old owner is to switch it to another network. Have they not done that because it won't get approved, for example? Um, so I've got that seven-day window to try and get it approved, make sure that everything is legit and I'm happy with it before I then release the payment to the to the seller. And how long, like how long should it take to be approved? How long did it take in this case? It, de it depends on um, on your Ezoic setup currently. So I've obviously I've got an Ezoic account. Um, so with my account, I'm I'm quite comfortable setting up everything myself, adding it to the website, setting up the ads.txt, uh, setting up Leap, setting up the placeholders. And then once you've gone through the integration and you've set all that up, usually takes around 48 hours for Ezoic to then approve it. So the quicker you can set that up and go through the process and get it in, the quicker. If you've got a brand new Ezoic account or you've just registered before they, I believe before they allow you to add a site, you've got to watch some training videos and you know, that can take a little bit of time then to get through the training before you can actually get to implementing the site. Okay. And since we're talking about Ezoic so much, we may as well talk about them a little bit more. They're a sponsor of this particular episode and we love Ezoic. So as far as like the like the placeholders and the setup. I know there's uh, quite a bit of training, but do you personally, Adam, have any tips on how you set it up? Earlier, you mentioned, you know, make sure you got a sidebar. The sticky sidebar ad is uh, very valuable. Any other broad tips like that? Yeah, so uh, I now use the uh, Ezoic plugin to automatically generate the placeholders for me. Um, used to have to use the Chrome extension, um, or add them like add them manually, and I found that was a bit difficult. So the, the the plugin is just great. You just install the plugin, click go, it'll automatically generate the placeholders. You can then log into Ezoic's backend and see how many it's generated. Like usually, you'll, as long as that list is big, then I just take it for granted they've added all the right placeholders for me. Um, the other thing that I always take advantage of with Ezoic is their leap settings, the speed optimization. Um, 
I think a big part of uh, what we'll talk about next is like small site optimizations. And a part of that is, is was site speed. The site was slow because it was with the uh, AdSense and uh, any kind of ad network is going to slow your site down, but they didn't have any caching plugins. They just were literally doing nothing to, to increase speed. So it was quite slow. Um, so put it into Ezoic, turned on the leap settings, opt, uh, set that up. I mean, it's, it's, it's really simple. You took, like, turn on leap, tick the boxes, click preview, make sure the site isn't broken, and then turn it on. It's really as simple as that. Um, and then turn off all your own plugins. Like if you've got a caching plugin, turn that off and, and that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> and then just let it go to work. I always turn on, um, you can go into the settings, the ad settings, and select what adverts you want to show. I'm quite aggressive. I literally show them all. They've got new enhanced placeholders as well, which I turn on now. Um, and then just make sure one thing which I see quite often with our client sites is when we're looking at, you know, their Ezoic setup is when you, by default, Ezoic, in the Ezoic settings, it says just send 90% of your traffic to mobile, tablet, and desktop. And loads of people forget to turn that up to 100%. It's only a little, it's only 10%, but again, it's just these little marginal things. Perfect. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think I've forgotten to move it up. So once we finish, <laughs> I'll turn mine up. The The other part uh, with Ezoic that I was going to ask you about is the premium. So some people yes. are a little scared to do the premium. And, you know, you've been on, obviously the site's been on Ezoic for a few months. So I suspect you were invited and you were able to do it. Can you talk about the premium? And, and some people are scared because you do like you, you technically pay for it, right? Like you have to, yeah. there's a fee to have the eligibility to put those ads. And some people are like, well, I'm not sure. I don't want to do it. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I'm literally logging into my account to pull up the details. So I'm definitely on Ezoic Premium. I'm on the, uh, what plan am I on? I don't know the name of it. It's the $2,200 a month plan. Uh, it's like uh, triple diamond or something. Um, so essentially, I pay that $2,200 up front, and then I get access to the premium ads. And in the last 30 days, the premium ads have brought in $3,643. So essentially, I've made $1,400 by being on that premium tier. It covers my cost, Anna, $1,400. Um, I was skeptical at first. I'm not going to lie about paying up front. Um, but my understanding is that you'll never lose money on premium. If your site dips in traffic or something happens to your site, they'll automatically ratchet you back down the premium until you are actually making money with it, even if it's just a small amount. So as far as I can see, it's like it's free money. Why wouldn't I go premium if it's if they're going to guarantee me more money every month? Right. Yep. And that, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, there, it feels like the way it's framed feels different than maybe what we're used to. But when you, when you peel it back, when you talk to enough people, you realize, oh, it's, you know, part of the cost of doing business. It's just the way the business model works. Yeah. And it turns out, it's fine. And if you ever wanted, like if it turned out it's not a good fit for you, you could always turn it off. So, yeah. okay, perfect. Any, anything else about Ezoic? Um, no, I don't think so. I think what they're doing is great. Uh, I know they've got some, um, some new stuff coming out soon, which I think looks awesome. Um, I don't know if we can or can't talk about it, so I won't, I won't talk about it yet, but I know they've got some cool things coming out in the pipeline in the next couple of months as well. So I'm excited to test that and, and, I think it'll 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 help us make more money too. 
Awesome. Well, cool. Let's talk about some of the other things that you did. Some of these are super quick wins. And I think you mentioned that you pretty much did um, about five days of work to implement these things to over double the value of the site and just earn a lot more money. So let's, let's go through them uh, and I'll turn it over to you. I'll let you hit these. Sure. Yeah. So it literally, it literally took like five days and these weren't five solid days. These are five days kind of working in the evening after, after my, so the day job, the agency, the agency world. So, I mean, the, the first quick thing that I did, uh, I was quite lucky that it was built on Astra, the theme Astra as well. I mean, most themes are similar, but I'm very familiar with Astra. It's what we build all of our sites on. Um, so the first thing I did, I think the font size was was like 17. It's the standard Astra font size, um, which is quite small. Uh, and if you increase it, I can increase this one up to 22, um, 22 pixels, I guess, or I don't know what that, 22 I know it in the settings. Um, and it, it does look quite big, if I'm being honest, at a 22. Um, but what that does is, especially on like mobile, it just means people have to scroll more uh, and then more time on site. Oh, sorry, on desktop, more time on site as they scroll means that the sticky sidebar display ad is in view for longer. So you can increase the time people spend by just having a bigger font, essentially. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that I did... Um, uh, that goes kind of hand in hand in font is just increase the line space as well. Uh, the, the the space between sentence or the space, yeah, it's line height, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it just does something similar, just keeps people on the site a little bit longer. Um, so they're scrolling more and, and there's more opportunity for, for ad spots. Um, the other thing I did was add more images. The site literally didn't have a single image on any of the posts. Um, and I don't think, due to the content, I don't think it needed images. Uh, but what images do in a subtle way is just break up the content more. And the more the content's broken up, especially with Ezoic adding placeholders, it just allows more spots for more adverts. The more the more breaks, page breaks you give it, the more placeholders it can generate for new adverts. So that allowed me to, in, to add more adverts as well. How many images um, do you put in there? So... It depended on the post. Some of the posts are actually quite short. So those ones would, I just add one, uh, but the, the, the more standard or longer ones, I'd add at least three. Okay. And then is, is there some ratio that you aim for? So three images per thousand words or something like that? Not really. I mean, I, just, I try and add, because this is, this, this is, I don't really mind what the post looks like. I don't mind if it looks like it's got a, too many images or whatever. It's literally just there to increase revenue as a tool. Um, so there's no, there was no rule of thumb of thousand words equals three images. It was almost how many can I try and get away with without making this post that doesn't need images look like it's just full of images. Right. Well, in side note, th- this is mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to get free advice from you, Adam. So you know of one of my sites. You've been working with me on it. There are a couple images on some of the posts, and I have like embedded YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. Do you think I should probably go through and add a bunch of images to you know the existing content? Is is monetized through display ads, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'll get on that. That'll be that'll be a pretty simple thing. I can send my VA to. On uh, you know one of the stock image sites and just load them up. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They li- literally stock images as well. I didn't edit them or anything. Just took them and, um, and uploaded them. Perfect. All right. What else do you have? 
so I added some FAQ questions to the top posts. One thing which uh, I mentioned in my last interview with you, and, and, and same with this one, the change, most of the changes I made to these sites, uh, I, I always follow the 80-20 rule. I didn't go through uh, this, this site. I had, I think, about 190 posts or something close to 200 posts. I didn't go through 200 posts and add images to them all. I literally went into analytics. What's the top 20% that are driving pages that are driving 80% of the traffic? And I optimized those. So for those top pages, I also added an FAQ section. Um, and to do that, I basically put the, the primary keyword, which is typically the title, into Google and looked at what the people also asked questions were and pull those out. If that didn't give me super relevant questions, I also then use like uh, answer the public, uh, which is like a free tool. You can go in, put in a keyword, and it'll give you questions that people like related questions that people are searching for. Um, and just, and just fill those out, basically added it to the bottom of the, of the piece of content, almost as a, here's the article and here's some FAQs just to add a little bit more relevance. Um, I think it's really important. you kind of have to go like the extra step from your competitors. Um, and a great way of doing it is by adding FAQs. Perfect. And is there a standard number of FAQs that you add or do you, just as many as you find relevant? Yeah, I try to add at least three. Okay. Is there a maximum at some point? Are you like, that's, that's enough, just move on? As long, as long as they're relevant, no. But what you find is, especially if you find questions that way and the people also ask the first three or four are usually really relevant and then they get less relevant until they're not relevant at all. And then you don't want to be, you don't want to be adding those in. Yeah. I've, I've noticed there are, yeah, totally irrelevant stuff, but also sometimes it'll just repeat maybe in a different yeah. format. It's just the same theme again and again. Exactly. What's next? Uh, table of contents plugin. There's no table of contents on here. Um, now, a table of contents, I think, is a really underrated tool or plugin that people miss. Whenever I'm looking to buy a site and I don't see a table of contents plugin, I'm like, this is great. Um, mainly because you add it, uh, and, it um, and what it does essentially is creates the table of contents out of the H tags on the page, so the H2s and H3s typically. Um, and what that does for Google then is it, once that gets crawled and indexed, it creates jump links for Google. So the little you can get little links that appear under your SERP result and you can click that and it'll, it'll take you to that spot. Um, but also as well, you'll notice if you look in any site that has a table of contents in Search Console and you look at a page, like a specific page or a page that gets lots of traffic, you'll almost always see if you've got a table of contents, the little hash sign and you can see how many people have actually clicked in to go to that specific answer. Because Google also pulls up featured snippets sometimes based on a specific answer. And you click the featured snippet and you get taken to the, that part of the article rather than the top. Um, so for me, that, that's a super quick, easy win uh, and really, really important and un underrated um, bit that people miss when they build sites. I don't know why you build a site without a table of contents. Right. Yeah, I've noticed those uh, jump links like you're talking about in yeah. the search console. And one thing that you did that I... I'm surprised I've, maybe this is obvious, like the table of contests and I don't just don't know it, but the breadcrumb navigation. So this mm -hmm. site didn't have it before. And I think, you know, depending on the theme, you could implement it, but some SEO plugins will let you do it too. So can you talk about the yeah. breadcrumbs here? Yeah, this is important. I think for sites with a specific like types of structure. So Typically on the sites that we build, the URL structure, we wouldn't include the category in the URL structure. Um, 
but this site does. So it's like forward slash category, forward slash post type or post name. Um, and in Astra, there's an option whether you want to display at the top of the article, the breadcrumb or not, which will say like you're in certain category or not. Um, without that, well, adding a breadcrumb, I feel, just allows more internal linking. It sounds crazy. It's, it's almost like a, a link to the sitemap based on, on, the, on the post that you're on. You can, if, you, if Google can see that and go back to the category page from that article, I mean, I, all these things to individually are probably not like massive needle movers, but it's just all like small incremental steps. And, and I think adding breadcrumbs is a small incremental step. It's not massive on its own, but with everything else, it's a bit, it's a part of the bigger picture. And some websites uh, that I go to, like when they don't have breadcrumbs, I'm like, I can't navigate to the stuff that I want to go to. So it definitely depends on the type of site. And I mean, I was on an e-commerce site, so I was like trying yeah. to find more products in the same category area. Yeah. Not all sites are like that, but obviously this one has some component where it does make sense. And even if it doesn't like bring in more revenue, Google may be able to crawl it a little easier and maybe it's better for the user, which, you know, maybe all yeah. the ads are not great for the user, but at least the navigation you're doing that for them. For sure. Definitely. And speaking of like links and internal linking, you did some of that work. So were there many internal links uh, when you first bought the site? No, literally none. Really surprising. Like I couldn't find, I couldn't find a single contextual internal link. Um, I'm a big fan of Link Whisper. So in, installed Link Whisper straight away, uh, went through again the top 20% of the posts. So didn't go through them all, just went through the top 20% and added internal link in there. Um, and then I also installed a, um, a plugin called Contextually Related Posts, which just adds a, uh, set it to eight related posts at the bottom. I mean, I feel those internal links are not as good as in context internal links, but it still adds contextually related links at the bottom of the post end. So it just increases that crawl crawlability of Google. Um, it just means, again, if someone gets to the bottom of the post, they're not just left to the blank screen. They can go somewhere else if they if they feel they want to. Um, I don't know how many people do because on the sites that we build, typically like the number of page views per user is quite low because of the, the kinds of keywords we usually go after. They're very long tail. You either find the answer and go back uh, or, or, or you, you just click back. I don't think a lot of people get to the bottom and see, oh, I'm not another related post i'll click it but it's there if they if they wanted to right it's like uh i'm thinking of like new sites where you get to the bottom and there's all these clickbait yeah things which it's pretty i mean it's funny just to read them of course when you go over to the post like it never it never pans out but i'm picturing yeah. like someone holding like a fork backwards and like you've been using your fork wrong all these years and you're like oh shit have i like are you supposed to hold it by the the tines yeah. okay <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, you also improve the site speed. So what what was it um, when you got to it? Like if you have any specific metrics and what did you improve it to? Yeah, I, I, it wasn't it wasn't horrible. It wasn't it wasn't red or anything in in web core files. It was definitely amber. I can't remember the exact kind of number it was. Um, I mean, it was it was fine on. I, I think it was it was almost fine on desktop and slower on mobile. Um, and the only thing I could put that down to really, because it didn't have many, it didn't have hardly any images. There was no videos embedded on the site. It was a very fast, lightweight theme. It, it, all I can put it down to really is 
there was no kind of caching. There was um, no optimization plugins or anything. Uh, and it was running AdSense. Um, so it was like an ad network and they were doing literally nothing to optimize. Um, so when I moved it into Ezoic, we kind of talked about it earlier, but I, I installed Leap. Um, and that kind of takes care of like 99% of the things that you need to do, essentially. And if I just have a look in my uh, Ezoic account here now, currently is... While you're looking it up there, one thing that I find very surprising is the site was making, you know, around close to $2,000 per month for a pretty long time. And I'm kind of shocked at like some of the little things that they didn't do. Like you said, whoever you bought it from, it seemed like maybe they didn't build it. They bought it from someone else and kind of didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Cause just like little things that like they didn't even put internal links the no. site speed wasn't that great. Like there, there were a couple of things. And I know you said it was a lightweight theme, but basically if you have no images and you have Astra, like it should be like, it should load pretty quickly if you're not doing any embedded yeah. videos. Like there's not many calls and the images are usually what get people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like I say, it's rare to find sites like that, that are doing well, that have literally, they just miss all the simple things. Um, the, the site speed now is it, on, an, on mobile, it's 90, and on desktop, it's 91. So it's green on both with an ad network, which, I mean, uh, I'll take that all day. It's not high 90s, but it's green. So, All right, cool. And what yeah. one last thing kind of related to the speed is hosting. And one, one person did want me to ask about this. Ooh. It doesn't really matter. Uh, what hosting you use, but I'm curious if you did have to switch it. Um, I typically use SiteGround or MDD hosting, but I usually tell people like the hosting problem is solved. Like all of them are pretty much the same. As long as you don't get a really terrible one, most of them are pretty good. So did you switch hosting or did you just pick up a plan wherever it was already hosted? No, I always switch hosting. I I use for my own personal sites, WPX, um, and the only reason I switch is because I pay for a plan with X amount of sites in. Uh, so I might, as well, I might as well move it over there. Um, generally, overall, I've been very happy with WPX. So I've been with them for years. Um, th- I think the support is amazing. I did have one issue with them last year where for no reason, or well, it turns out for no reason, they e- messaged me to say, your site's been infected with malware and is sending out emails. We've taken the site offline until we investigate. And I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. And then it, like, I said, okay, that's fine. And then it went on for days and days and days. And then it turned into over a week where I was emailing constantly every day, like, I'm losing money. My site's losing rankings. What is going on? And then there was almost no apology at the end. It was like, oh, yeah, we made a mistake. Turns out it wasn't. And we put the site back online for you. I was like, oh, great. Thanks. Awesome. Um, and I probably would have moved away at that point over to Cloudways because that's what we use for our agency. Um, but I've got quite a few sites with Ezoic, well, with um, WPX, and I just I just haven't had the time to go and move them all. And I'm kind of caught in that trap now where I pay every month and I just renew and I think, oh, I should move it when the renewal comes in and then life takes over and next month comes, like, oh, I'm going to move those. And then I don't. But then, I mean, I, that's the one thing over, I've been with them for probably four or five years. And that's the only thing, the only complaint I've had in that time. Gotcha. Yeah. Most, most hosting companies are pretty good. And if they're big enough, 
there's going to be stories just like you told where there's like some yeah. mistake or yeah. one of the companies that I used MDD, they had a major outage for like all their sites due yeah. to some really small anomaly that happened. And it was like yeah. multiple fail safe things failed in a cascading. Anyway, it'll basically yeah. never happen again because now they have like, they know that that is possible. So yeah it's it's fixed and it that probably won't happen but yeah the pain of of migrating is um i mean usually not anything's going wrong so you don't no. have to do anything all right yeah. well before we talk about some of the other stuff which i think we've gone through like most of the things mm. the other sponsor of this episode is niche website builder so i could just ask you directly adam about one of your new yeah. services and it's the Haro link building. So when did you guys roll that out and what sort of results have you seen? I'm curious about just tiny bit of the process and how you do this. Sure. So it's a relatively new service for us. Uh, we launched it in November. So we've been running it live, live to customers for about three or four months. But prior to that, we've been testing it internally for quite some time. We've been testing it for a long time. So it took us took us a long time to get the process right. Haro on paper sounds quite simple. For your guests that don't quite know what Haro is, maybe it's basically just a platform where you log in and respond to journalist requests for help with their articles. And in theory, that sounds great. Well, I'll just reply with here's my answer and here's my response and I'll just get the links rolling in. But it's not quite like that. Um, and we basically managed to get to work internally when one of our content writers uh, is an ex-journalist. He used to be a journalist. And what we found was when we when we, he started writing the pitches, they almost speak like a different language. Like journalists have their own talk. And we we're like, Tim, how are you How are you doing this? How are you getting these all these pitches approved? Like our rate went from like, you know, a success rate went from like one in 30 pitches to like one in 10. We're like, Tim, what are you, what are you doing different than everyone else? And he just showed us basically and, and – Subsequently, Tim now heads up that service. He's now mentoring other writers that we've got that reply, and he's kind of like our our Haro team captain now because he understands the world they're in. Um, and it's going great. We're getting some really awesome results for clients, um, like lots of editorial type links, high quality, high DR links, really relevant. Um, and it, Haro fits in nicely with some of the other link building strategies we do because we offer a couple of others and they all do something slightly different. So we've got our shotgun skyscraper service, which essentially is, you know, we'll build backlinks to a skyscraper piece of content. And that's great for increasing overall domain authority because on a cost per link, it's really cheap. We've got our guest post and niche edit service, which are great for building to individual posts for pushing like individual posts up the rankings. If you're bottom of page one or middle of page one, for example, one part that we've always missed is, is the ability to build EAT, the expertise, authority, and the trust through link building, and Haro is great for that. When you reach out as an expert, and we, we, we go through the process of creating a profile for your website, we'll create someone on the About Us page, typically be someone from the comms team or the marketing team or whatever makes sense. We'll make up the whole persona, you know, an image from this person does not exist, the whole backstory, um, and then we reach out as that person. And over time, not only do you get good quality backlinks, but you start to build a digital footprint for that person, even if they're not real, 
as an expert in the field because they're getting quoted in editorial stuff. And they might say Dave from x-site.com. And Dave might not be real, but it's a great way of, of building expertise, authority, and trust and building a digital footprint for Dave, who's on your site. And I think even if it's not super important now in certain niches, eat as Google gets smarter over the over the coming years is probably going to become important. So you might still get away now with a fake persona. And you know we do it all the time for, for lots of our sites, fake persona, create a backstory, but that's it. You don't go any further. Eat just allows you to take that persona a little bit further as well. Or Haro allows you to take it a bit further, I should say. Awesome. And you mentioned earlier that I forget who the former journalist was, but can you tell us a couple tips about what he does to help improve the acceptance rate? Yeah, sure. There's, there's definitely a couple of things he does. So uh, the, the first big one with Haro is timeliness, like replying as quickly as possible. Journalists want the answer yesterday. They've usually got very short deadlines to work to. And Haro comes out certain times of the day, um, which means we have to stagger our, our staff to be sure that we can hit them. Um, the other thing that he's really good at is, uh, and w- what I think we did differently to increase our success rate was the way we packaged up the answer for them. Like rather than here's everything I know about the topic, here is a pretty much polished finish. They just have to do make minor edits before they can publish that quote. Uh, and in a very concise, almost less is more. Like this is everything I know, and as in, a sh- in as little sentences as, as I can make it for you, um, and push that out. Um, and then other small things around, you know, making sure that we have headshots available, making sure that we link to our uh, if we've created a LinkedIn profile or if we've got, if we've got a you know set set up the about this page make sure we link to that um just so it makes it really easy if someone wants to use your headshot if someone wants to quote you and link back to you that they've got all the information they don't have to go searching for anything um and then the other thing is is the way that he the way that he talks they, they, they i can't i can't put it into words it's just almost like a different language they use different terminology like we are so used to it as getting links from an seo perspective all we ever care, all we ever care really about is: Are you going to use our pitch? Are you going to use our quote? Because we want a link. Tim comes at it more from a: Hey, I've been in your shoes. I know you've got deadlines. I've done all this for you. It's packaged up. Like I, it's, it's like empathizes with them, um, and that goes down really well. I think. I think that's why he's managed to 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 get the success rate he high that he does. Very good, and, and I mean just. In the conciseness area, I can definitely understand that. Yeah. I haven't been on, you know, in a reporter's shoes, but I have gotten like emails where it'd be much better to just get bullet points. And a lot of times I do yeah. when I am sending an email to someone and I don't know if they can be concise, I will ask yeah. for just send me like a handful of bullet points. Don't send me a long narrative because it's just too much. Like it, it becomes. Yeah. A cho- it becomes more work and they will literally just skip it. They won't even exactly. look at it. That's it. Okay, cool. So you guys have the Haro service and is there any like amount of time which you recommend? I know some other services say like Shotgun Skyscraper, like you may want to run it for several months because number one, it takes a little time to get ramped up, but number two, you sort of hit a stride with it. So with Haro, what's the recommended duration? 
Yeah. The good thing about Haro is that it, it's almost never-ending. There's always journalists looking for quotes, for new stories that they're, they're pushing out or new angles on different stories. So you're almost never going to end up running out of, oh, my God, we can't apply for any more pitches because it's it's refreshed all the time. Um during that first kind of initial setup, we do a month, like the first month is set up where we'll set up the About Us page and the persona and we'll start the outreach because it does take a while to ramp up. Usually the way it works is you answer a load of pitches, you get back that they, they're going to use them. And then typically the articles might not go live for another three or four weeks. So like from when you start, you might not actually see the links built. We, we've got them confirmed as they're going to place the articles or they're going to place it, but it, they might actually not go live for like the first five or six weeks. And subsequently, when you finish the campaign, you've still got links coming in five or six after we five or six af- weeks after we finished it. But really, if you've got the budget, I think it should become a, a, a long-term part of your strategy, not only for the link building, but for, for, the, for the eat as well. What a salesman, come on, ongoing <laughs> forever. Well, you're killing me, man. <laughs> ongoing until you sell your site maybe for way more money than when you yeah. started i don't know <laughs> got it okay that does make sense though that makes sense all right cool yeah so we've gone through several items i'm going to list them out so if people are taking notes or something but you increase sure. the font size you added more content in the form of faqs you added more images table of contents breadcrumbs internal linking and in general you focused on an 80-20 situation. So you didn't do all 190 articles. You just yep. focused on you know whatever the top handful or so, maybe 40 or 50, something like that. And I think probably one of the biggest things was switching over from AdSense to Ezoic and then just showing far more ads than you were doing before. You also increased the site speed. I've that's probably a minor thing. Uh, it doesn't sound like that was impactful yeah. in a huge way, but um, a- anything else that you did? That's literally it, to be honest. Now you've listed out in bullet point form, Doug. It makes me, <laughs> makes me feel like it's not a lot of work at all. <laughs> um, well, but yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like too much. It, it, and I want to, you, you said it was 22 point font is what you increased it to. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And I think, you know, you, you had a similar story uh, before and you really went through the same step. So it's great to see you found another under monetized site. It was a little bit undervalued or the person wasn't doing as much as they could. And you yeah. you literally didn't increase the traffic at all. So I, I mentioned that, you know, we'll talk about link building. Did you do any link building to this like at all? No. Okay. No, no, nothing at all. What was a link profile uh, when you bought it then? Did it have very many links? Do you happen to remember roughly what the domain authority might have been? Yes, I can tell you exactly. It is. It's a DR25 uh, and it has... uh, 388 referring domains. Okay. And do you know if the previous owners did any link building? Are these pretty natural or what can you tell from your research? It was all pretty natural. Of those 300 nods, a lot of them are, um, I almost call them like spammy domains. You know, the type that are 
they just like auto blogs or it's, it's called like keyword research.info or whatever it is. It's, it's those types. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also not the type of content that would naturally get links. In all honesty, it's not interesting content. It's useful if you're looking for the specific information, but it's, it's not exciting content. It's not link worthy kind of content. So it, it's very unlikely that it would have generated lots of good links on its own anyway, apart from these kind of spammy ones. I think it's because it's been around for, for several years. The DR is up to 25, more so because it's got lots of lower quality links, I guess. Not necessarily bad links or harmful links, but just ones which weren't built. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to say that is kind of a higher DR than I would expect for... Hmm the spammy links, which, I mean, you know, you said 300, it's like, wow, that's, that's quite a few referring domains, but I know just, especially a site that has a f- couple hundred posts, like it can attract just random links over time. And I, I don't yeah. know what those spammy links are used for. I suspect they're just linking out to several other sites and they're, you know, one of the sites they link out to is whatever they're targeting and you just get caught up in the, the mix there. I'm just looking. It has got some some higher quality links, and I've not looked into these. One from AOL, there's one from Nvidia, but then the other spammy type of ones that I'm talking about are things like um, topmillion.net or sitelike.org or sitestats.org, where they site oh, right. links.info. Like they they just scrape sites, and you click through on it, and they've they've generated like a dynamically generated a page about the website that links back to you. I don't know what they get out of it. I don't, I don't know what their business model is. Right. I've always wondered that, but it's mostly those kinds of links. Got it. Okay. Well, anything else to add before we wrap it up? Um, that's it, really, I think. Um, I'm going to be selling the site soon. So if any of you listeners are interested in buying it, there's still a lot of, I think, there's content you could add uh, in the short term. I mean, we talked about how it's probably not going to be around in another five years or so just because of the way the technology is going, but there's plenty of opportunity to make lots of money in that five years. Uh, you can definitely increase it from here, I think. Um, but apart from that, no, that's it really. It's been a pleasure talking to you again, um, sharing these quick tip wins. Like I say, I think anyone can, anyone with a, with a small amount of knowledge can go out and do the same thing. Um, it's just identifying the sites up front or finding the sites up front. They, they're hard to come by these types of sites. And and I'll add in there that maybe you own a site. Like I said, as we're talking through this, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I could do one or two of these things that it wasn't relevant when we talked before, but now I'm thinking, oh, maybe it makes a little sense to do a couple of these things. So you may be able to take these tips and, and then use them on your site that you already have, maybe throw on a couple more ads, maybe turn the 90% of the traffic through your ad network over to 100%, for example, just a couple little things to tweak it, especially, I mean, let's say you're looking just like you had them, you're looking to sell in a couple yeah. uh, or short amount of time, uh, maybe in the next six months, if you could boost the revenue by 15%, like that could represent yeah. a lot of money in the sales oh, for sure. Yeah. And the way multiples are going as well. I mean, sites, sites which have been steady for a long time, it's also a legitimate strategy if you feel like it's going to stay steady is to buy it now at a multiple today, keep it for 12 months and the multiple is probably have going to go on, has probably gone up, increased uh, in 12 months from now. Right. 
yeah, this is, it's very interesting if you do have a little money to play with. So, all right, well, Adam, people could find you over at niche website builders, right? Yep. That's it. Niche website builders. Um, we've got a couple of Facebook groups, niche website builders, Facebook group, niche website flippers, Facebook group. Um, if you go on the website, there's a contact form. If you want to shoot us a message or anything, um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch. Perfect. All right, man. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Cheers, Doug. Appreciate it. So even though that was a clickbait title, I think it delivered. And the key thing here is the steps are fairly easy. Like many things that we do, there's nothing really out of the ordinary. However, the key thing, it's kind of like real estate, you know, if you have the right piece of property in the right location and take this from a person who doesn't do any real estate investing. But if you have the right piece of property where you got a good deal and you were able to see the additional value that you can add in some capacity, then you're kind of set up for some success. And again, with a clickbait title, I think this actually delivered. Adam didn't spend a huge amount of time. He didn't hire a bunch of people to do a ton of work. There were some tweaks that he knew that he could make in a short amount of time to get a very high return. So it wasn't the five days of work. It was really the ability to identify a good deal when he saw it and understand that he could add value in a particular way where this site would benefit. So for example, he may have been able to get a better deal on a similar site, for example, but maybe some of those pieces of optimization that he added were already done. So he couldn't add as much value. He wouldn't be able to get as big of a return, even though maybe he could have purchased it for a lower price or in of course a worst case, an unskilled person, or maybe it's one of your early deals you get a site where you think you can add optimization, but in reality, you are gambling a little bit and you're not able to add the value that you thought you were. So great in this case, however, and I think you could probably use some of the tips that Adam provided for us if you you know maybe want to check this kind of thing out. If you are thinking about it, I do encourage you to play with an amount of money that works for you. $60,000 is kind of a lot of money. (laughs) So you may not have $60,000 laying around in cash that you want to buy a website where you think, hey, I'm going to give it a shot. So one approach that is far more reasonable is to just start with lower stakes. And I think that is probably what Adam did. I haven't talked to him about all the websites he's purchased in the past, but I know uh, at least a couple of the other interviews I've done with him, he mentioned kind of a sweet spot of a few thousand dollars. So he's leveled his way up and now he he could play with higher stakes because he's uh, learned his mistakes and he's learned what works and what doesn't work. And he has more money and capital because he's been doing this for a few years. And on that note, I actually have my own website flipping story to share sometime soon. Should be an upcoming episode, but 
if you are on my email list and you open a lot of the emails, which thank you for opening the emails and for signing up for the email list, I sold a site that I kind of had laying around. So it's a site that I've worked on for about two years and I purchased it at the very end of 2019 from a student of mine and I sold it in the last few days. So that has been a nice experience and it was much lower stakes, kind of something I did on the side and I have all the expenses, I have all the profits, I can share all the details and that'll be in an upcoming episode. So keep an eye out for that. And again, whoa, did you guys hear that? That was my headphone cord sliding down. So everybody be careful. Sounds very dramatic. And I have a unfortunate mic stand over here that has fucking springs on it. So you could hear that. I should really edit it out, but I'm kind of in a hurry, so I'm just going to leave it in there. And I mean, that's the reality. This is a sloppy situation that's happening over here. It's a good thing the scissors didn't fall off the table. That's actually really dangerous. So anyway, that episode, my own story is coming out soon, and it is uh, perhaps a more approachable story. It doesn't have the big headline, but you're thinking, hey, if Doug can do it, he is a guy who has headphone cords sliding off the table and he's too lazy to edit it out of the podcast episode, well, shit, you may be able to to flip a website on a smaller scale too. And on that note, everyone have a great day. And don't forget, if you are in the market for any of the services that niche website builders have, just a few days is all you have to get this uh, deal. So 15% more content or save 15% on the link building packages. Please do check it out and help support the podcast. Thanks a lot. And we'll catch you on the next episode.